Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 98. So it's, uh, it's Sunday, March 22nd. A week ago, there were 500 new cases in the States, and I think on Saturday there were over 6,000 new cases. And that's, that's reported cases, <laughs> I should say, because obviously the testing has lagged so abysmally that we're only now starting to see the reality. A, a friend of mine, his parents got tested in Florida, and it's going to take a week for them to get back the results. A week. Think about that for a second. Think about how that constrains treatment and isolation and contact tracing. Think about what that is going to mean for Florida over the next month. And I think there's a real chance that Florida is on fire right now, that it's the new Italy. Last weekend, for a hot second, I was getting optimistic based on the actions at the state and local level. And then I saw the scene at the bars here in Milwaukee for St. Patrick's Day. They were overflowing. And the same scene in Chicago and Baltimore and Boston. And then, you know, I think you probably saw this too, the scenes from spring break in Texas and Florida still going strong up to, I think, today, where there was simply a complete blithe carelessness among the young to take any precautions whatsoever. You know, first of all, this is sort of the ultimate OK Boomer reaction, We're very happy when 20-year-olds are stupid and reckless when we want to send them off to die in some godforsaken foreign war. We're perfectly happy to take advantage of that stupidity when it comes to war. But the most important point is that any careless behavior right now, it's not just going to put their own lives at risk or their parents' lives or their grandparents' lives. It's going to put doctors' lives at risk and nurses' lives at risk. And it's going to, you know, it's going to basically accelerate the total collapse of the hospital system in this country. And when that happens, you know, all bets are off. And I was thinking about some of the moral implications of this. If someone acts with aggressive carelessness and then gets sick, Do they then have the right to go to a hospital and endanger the lives of doctors who are trying to save the lives of other people? If you're careless, do you have the right to endanger the life of someone else? I don't know the answer, but it's pretty... (laughs) Think of it this way. The silent generation had to live through the Great Depression. The greatest generation had to fight in World War II. Our generation just has to sit on the couch for two weeks and watch Netflix, and we can't even do that. We can't even just sit on the couch. Look, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point that we see that the system is broken. The political system, the healthcare system, and we're going to have to have some really hard conversations on the other side of this about how things have to change. And I keep coming back to this idea that, you know, in the name of efficiency, we have created fragility. 
everything has become fragile. Every screw has been turned so tightly that the whole machine is shuddering and on the verge of falling apart. I mean, look at the airlines, right? They've had a week (laughs) of fewer flights and they're already crying for like, what, a $50 billion bailout to stay alive. They've bought back $50 billion of stock in the last few years. If they had simply held on to those profits instead of shoveling them back to the shareholders as quickly as possible, they would be much more robust. And that's what we're seeing across the board. We're seeing the fragility being exposed by the virus. It's everywhere. You see it in the just-in-time manufacturing and distribution of goods, where there are no buffer stocks, where there's no domestic supply, where you have global supply chains that fall apart at the first sign of a problem. You're seeing it in the American healthcare system, where there's no paid sick leave, and where, you know, half the country is living paycheck to paycheck. You're seeing it in the corporate world, where every industry has taken on so much debt because the company was bought out by a private equity firm, or they were forced by activists to do buybacks and to do debt-driven mergers. So our attitude towards debt is going to have to change if we want to avoid this happening over and over again. And, you know, part of the way I think about this is I try to envision a 25-year-old entrepreneur because we want as many of those people as possible. And we want them to be able to fail at their first entrepreneurship and still recover quickly so they can be you know, a 26-year-old entrepreneur and then a 27-year-old entrepreneur. And what are the conditions that would allow that very healthy system where entrepreneurs are able to fail and still recover and then try, try again? Well, you can't have student debt because that debt reduces their options. They basically have to take the corporate job They can't risk failing even once. And you have to have some sort of, you know, minimum guaranteed health care. And if an entire economy is based on people who can't run risks, who can't miss a single paycheck, that's an economy that is always two weeks from collapse. And that's simply not a sustainable economy. And what we've seen over and over again, especially at the federal level, is this belief or this practice that markets are more important than people. Over and over, right? In 2008, it was the banks who made the criminally negligent mortgage loans that got bailed out, and not the average Joe who had the mortgage. And today, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you see enormous action at the federal level to bail out companies. They're propping up you know, mortgage-backed securities. They're buying mortgages. They're intervening in the commercial paper market. And yet they're doing almost nothing as of today to really help out the people who need the help. If the people in government today don't use the authority they have to save lives, you're going to get a government that will. You're going to get a government that leans hard towards authority. And people will embrace it 
because they're so tired of a government that does nothing except protect companies. On a lighter note, it's really funny to see how paranoid I've gotten about really simple things like taking a walk or getting a, you know, Amazon delivery, you know, where I'm out there basically in a swimming suit with, you know, the gloves on and the Clorox wipes and the garbage bag to put all the packaging in right away. And then when you're out for a walk, you know, <laughs> looking at everyone else on the street as though they're trying to murder you. Should I stop there? I want to talk about one more thing. And the basic idea, I think, boils down to something Taleb has talked about in the past, and that's you want to panic early. You want to overreact how can I put this? I think I have to use the language of investing because that's what I'm used to. Let's say you own a stock that you bought at 100 and it goes to 90. And you think maybe you should sell it because you have some anxiety around the position. But the anxiety hasn't hit the point where you panic and just sell. And then it goes to 80 and your anxiety is higher. Well, you should be able to extrapolate at that point and say, look, I can see my anxiety increasing. And I know at some point it's going to trip some circuit breaker in my mind, and I'm going to become a forced seller. Well, if you can anticipate that moment of panic, if you can anticipate a moment when your resolve is going to break, just do the action now. Get ahead of it. Act in a way that resolves the anxiety or the fear. Because it's better to act now when you have a little bit of anxiety than to wait until the moment of crisis when the fear or the anxiety controls you. You want to act when the negative emotion is information rather than in control. And I was thinking about this with Cuomo's response to locking down New York because he waited too long. He could have seen that the data was getting steadily worse, and he should have anticipated that at some level the data would be so bad he would be forced to lock down the city, and so therefore he should have locked it down right away. You don't wait for all the evidence to come in because by then it is too late to act. If your ship is sinking, you don't wait for it to be underwater before you tell people to go to the lifeboats. You tell them right away. You need to extrapolate not just based on the data, but on how accurate the data is and the direction of the data. Does that make sense at all? I'm sorry if I'm putting this poorly. But the idea is that negative emotion is information. It's feedback from reality. And you shouldn't wait until the feedback is out of control before you respond. You want to respond right away because you know it's going to get worse. Anyway, on that note, that's all I got. Stay the fuck inside and I will catch you later.